0: Hello, and welcome to the Signpost End Podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian
1: prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost In Podcast is brought to you by the Signpost End Ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostn.org. On this week's episode, we're gonna talk about contemplative prayer or what's sometimes called centering prayer. But before we jump into that discussion, we need your help. Please help us meet our financial goals by becoming a supporter. We currently really need regular monthly supporters, but please also consider a one-time gift this coming November on Giving Tuesday or as an end of year gift. As a 501c3 charity, we cannot continue to do what we do without support from people like you, who truly believe in the power of slowing down, listening to each other, knowing, and being known. Donating is quick and easy at signpostin.org slash donate. And now, here's the show.
0: Hey there, Brandon. Good to see you again. You too, Matt. Well, uh, I have some questions for you that I want to ask you about. Um, since I've known you, and especially since I've been involved with the ministry of Signpost in one of the things that I've come to, I've heard a lot about and have been learning a lot about is contemplative prayer and centering prayer. And to be honest, I'm still not exactly sure what those are. At least in in the sense of in practice, and how that differs from any other type of prayer, could you could you maybe just uh, throw out some definitions and help help me and help our listeners to kind of wrap our mind around what what this is?
1: Yeah. So centering prayer or contemplative prayer—they're actually two different words for the same thing. I mean, those are just different ways people talk about it. Um, the phrase centering prayer has a little more connotation from a particular person. Um, There was a guy, his name is Father Thomas Keating. Um, He made centering prayer really popular. He was a Trappist monk. And actually, he made it pretty popular in the late 80s and 90s, or maybe even earlier than that. And there's some guys before him that, that came up with the term. So that's a relatively new term, the idea of centering prayer. And different people mean different things by it. I encountered it as as Centering Prayer when I was on my sabbatical, looking for some spiritual practices to help me deal with anxiety and had read, I think you and I've talked about uh, J.P. Moreland's book, which uh, the title is escaping me at the moment. I believe it's Um, Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland, right? Is that the one? Right. I encountered J.P. Moreland's book, Finding Quiet, and then actually discovered that there was a, a Centering Prayer workshop being done near where I live. So, uh, went to that and that word can be kind of a scary word to some people because some of the people who practice centering prayer, uh, can be a little kooky. There's some, (laughs) there's some new age connections for some
0: of that. Okay. Well, maybe this would be a great point to jump in there and let's just, let's just talk about, um, the big, scary, kooky stuff that, that is kind of a turnoff, I think for some Christians, because, Whenever you hear some people talk about this, it does begin to sound a bit like Eastern mysticism or even something that is posing as Christian, but yet is not and might be heretical. Like, is this within the bounds of of biblically faithful Christianity? And how do we keep from venturing into the uh, zone that would be off limits for those who want to be faithful to Christ and worship God in a in a proper way? Yes,
1: it is within the bounds of biblical Christianity. I would, at the outset, say, just like anything that the church does or any practice that a Christian does, we can very easily make it outside the bounds of biblical Christianity. You know, Jesus can tell us to love one another, and we can take that and turn it into works based (laughs) salvation. So, I mean, there's nothing inherently sinful or evil about centering or contemplative prayer? Can it be used or misunderstood in a bad way? Absolutely. Mm. And do people do that? Of course. So back to the original question, I think let's define it. Um, That's what happened to me. So I went to the workshop and I was like, man, this is a little kooky. I'm not sure. So I went and did the thing I do, which is go read. I went and read the history of it and delved into it and discovered that It's actually very ancient in the Christian church in various forms. Um, And it's really, really simple. And uh, people overcomplicate it. Here's the basic, basic definition. It's a practice of quietly returning to a scriptural word or phrase in order to keep my attention centered on God. Okay. So it's, it's a way of praying that is sometimes called wordless prayer. So as opposed to what we intercessory prayer or petitionary prayer, right? Intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of somebody, making requests of God for someone else or um, seeking someone else's good, uh, going to God and asking for that. Or petitionary prayer, which is making all your requests known to God because he loves you, asking for things. Um, contemplative or centering prayer is a little bit different kind of prayer, it is letting go the inner dialogue of thoughts, and intending, it's a prayer of intention more than it is a prayer of words, intending to rest in the presence and the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, the best biblical basis I have for it is uh, Psalm 131. And Psalm 131 is rapidly becoming like the theme psalm of Signpost N. Um, <laughs> let me just read it to you, all right? This is Psalm 131. It's a song of ascent, so it's from David and he says, "Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever." Wow. All right. So based
0: on that Psalm, what I hear you saying, and especially if you're saying that's kind of a, our guide for contemplative prayer, centering prayer. One of the things I pick up most out of that scripture is a sense of submission and being at peace with God without, you know, that, that phrase, like a weaned child. I'm not coming to God because I need something or I want something. I'm literally coming to God just to be in his presence, to worship him and just focusing on him letting and and I guess that's what you were saying before is that you're 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 sort of letting go of yourself the things that you're focused
1: on to focus on God. Do I got that right? Yeah, I think the word focus throws us off a little bit because when I heard focus, when I think of focusing on God in my Christian background, that word was a real buzzword. It was thrown around a lot and it meant something I think vaguely like intense thinking about God, hmm. or at least that's how I perceived it. And I couldn't, I mean, I you can't do that all the time. What I've discovered in contemplative prayer and the practice of centering prayer is that it's more about my heart, my the inner consent. You said, I think you said surrender, which is a really important word. It's this consent to the reality that God is present And God loves me. And it's not necessarily a mind thing that I do. It's not a thinking thing that I'm doing. It's a willing thing. And so that's why it's sometimes called a prayer of intention. Mm. I am sitting down and doing exactly what Psalm 131 says. I am calming and quieting my soul. If you think about the image in Psalm 131, as you've already brought up, it's fascinating. First, it begins with, I am not lifting my eyes to things that are too wondrous for me. I am not here to have PhD level thoughts about theology or anything else. Those things are too high for me. Mm. <laughs> Those are in God's hands. So instead I'm gonna be like a weaned child, a child who no longer needs to nurse in his mother's arms. And how what what is that child doing in his mother arms mother's arms? Nothing. He might even be sleeping. Yeah. So I'm going to read you another quote. It's a long one, but this is from a guy named Basil Pennington, and he wrote a book called Centering Prayer. And in that book, he says he describes the method of centering prayer or contemplative prayer, and he describes then what it is we're doing with it. And he gets at this idea of it's a prayer of intention. It's a resting in God's love. He says, a father is delighted when his little one, leaving off her toys and friends, runs to him and climbs into his arms. As he holds her close, he doesn't care whether she is looking around, her attention flitting from one thing to another, or just settling down to sleep. Essentially, she is choosing to be with her father, confident of the love, the care, the security that is hers in those arms. Contemplative prayer is much like that. We settle down in our father's arms, in his loving hands, Our minds, our thoughts, our imagination may flit here and there. We might even fall asleep. But essentially, we are choosing for this time to remain intimately with our Father, giving ourselves to him, receiving his love and care, letting him enjoy us as he will. It is a very simple prayer. It is a very childlike prayer. It is the prayer that opens us out to all the delights of the kingdom. And I think that really captures what is this kind of prayer, quote-unquote, doing? Well, it's not doing anything. Hmm. What What it is is resting in the love of Christ. So for me, what I discovered in the practice of centering prayer was a very practical way to put my money where my theological mouth is. (laughs) You and I believe that the true biblical message, what Jesus taught is that he is the good shepherd, that he loves us unconditionally, and that there is nothing I need to do to earn or gain his love or be in his fold, his sheepfold. I believe that with all of my head. What centering prayer did for me, what contemplative prayer does for me, is the practice. It it is a practice. It is practicing believing that with all of my heart, all of my strength, and all of my soul. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's actually,
0: I'm trying to sort this out between any other prayer, because honestly, as I've matured in my walk with Christ, I've gone from thinking, well, all prayer is just prayer, right? It's just prayer. You're praying to recognizing that there's a lot of for lack of a better term different categories of prayer like you mentioned it before the petitionary prayer but this this kind of prayer really sounds like just almost what I would probably say is kind of like a worshipful prayer the idea is focusing on god and really not worrying about all the things that are going on but rather going to god and enjoying his presence
1: yeah and I would I would want to say it's it's less focusing on God in that sense that I used to understand it, and it's more what you said, enjoying God. There are different categories of prayer, just like there's different categories of communication between humans. But those categories come after the fact. You don't need to understand the categories of prayer or conversation in order to have a good conversation or have good prayer. So in the tradition, the idea of contemplation, that is simply resting my heart, body, soul, and mind in God's current presence. It comes at the end of the other kinds of prayer that we're doing, the other kind of conversation we're having with God. It is the result of having read scripture, having heard from God, that may prompt thinkings and may prompt conviction, it may prompt requests, and I take those back and I talk to God after I've read his, by after I've read the scriptures. And then like normal conversation with another human, sometimes we then move past the talking into just being with each other. It's exactly like a good, good, good conversation with your wife or your husband or some your best friend. You know, you get together and at first the conversation is light and interest. You know, you're just, what happened today? And how are you? What's been going on? And then you move on to maybe something a little more serious. You may talk about some of your struggles that day, where you are, and with really intimate friends, you move on to even more intimate conversation about that, where sometimes it it moves into a, let me be with you and bear a burden with you, or enjoy a joy with you, and there's a deeper level of connection that happens as we dialogue. But eventually, on the most intimate relationships, your dialogue, your conversation with that person moves past words. Eventually, the greatest and most intimate times you spend with somebody are just being together, wordlessly, totally present to each other. And this is where we're going to get to start answering the question of, is this Eastern weird or new agey? Because it's not. But the greatest and intimate intimate conversation you have with another human being does eventually get to that point where there's no words and you are fully present with each other, fully engaged. I mean, you know, we have to be careful here because I don't want to offend anybody, but we are talking about the marital relationship in some sense, right? You get to that stage where you don't need words anymore and you lose yourself in the other. And there's a very great parallel there to our way our relationship with God works. In fact, I would say the marital relationship is a image, a shadow of the reality of how intimate and personal our relationship with God can become. So just to draw that bowstring together, in the contemplative tradition, this kind of wordless resting in God's presence and letting him enjoy me and me enjoy him is the culmination of all the other kinds of prayer that we do. And it doesn't exclude it or supersede it. It's the culmination of it.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah, that concept of just being at rest in his presence. It, it, my mind automatically jumps to one of my favorite Psalms, which is Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I mean, I really love that Psalm for, for many reasons, but just this concept of being with you is the best thing that that there is. And it's really the, the thing I want more than anything else. I also think of um, Psalm 84, a day in your courts is better than thousands elsewhere. Just that sense of, I have more joy And peace and fulfillment in the presence of God than really doing anything else. It's that satisfaction and that, I mean, that pleasure and that peace that you have in just communing and fellowshipping with God.
1: Yeah. I think what we've just been talking about here is, in the broadest sense, contemplative prayer, where people get tripped up with the method of what is often called centering prayer. And remember, as I said, this is something much more modern. The idea of centering prayer, as you would encounter it if you go read the books called that have the title Centering Prayer, it's a 20th century application of this practice that's been throughout the church for a really, really long time. I think you could even trace all the way back to Jesus, where if you start to read the Gospels and notice how often he removes himself into silence and solitude. You know, some translations talk about him going into the desolate places or the desert, and they don't mean literally the desert sometimes. What they mean is, what, it, what the scripture means is, he took himself away from the crowds, away from his disciples, and spent time alone with God. It was silent and it was alone. He invites the disciples to come with him once in Matthew 6, at least once that I know of. And he, he literally says, come away with me for a while after they'd been out on their missionary journey and they're tired and they, and in the scriptures say they hadn't even had time to eat. Sorry, that's Mark six there. You even have the, the clear invitation of God inviting us into this kind of prayer. You know, Christ is saying, Hey, come, come just rest with me, <laughs> be alone with me. But centering prayer is a modern incarnation or it's modern application. The re the thing that most people get hung up on is the method uses what's called a prayer word or a sacred word in some of the literature
0: mm, yeah that sound that automatically uh, stirs up images of uh, monks saying om and incense and stuff which is
1: uh yeah right it it automatically makes you think oh is this a eastern mantra or it, or it's sometimes one of the accusations that's leveled against this kind of prayer is it uh, it's self hypnosis or something like that and and to be clear i think that some people practice it that way i think some people do think of it that way but in the tradition that's not at all what it what's intended or how we're supposed to practice it since the 2nd or 3rd century within both eastern and western churches there's been what's known as the jesus prayer in various incarnations there's many different ways people pray it but the most common way that people pray it now is is simply to repeat Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And sometimes they add a sinner. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And for some of the early ascetic monks in Egypt in the second, third, fourth century, a prayer similar to that or some other biblical phrase or scriptural passage from the Psalms or from somewhere else in scripture to repeat that over and over and over again As a way of centering your focus, you're centering your mind, but then more importantly, centering your intention, your heart on the meaning of those words and on and who it is that I'm saying those words to, has been around for a really long time. How is that different from an Eastern mantra and the practice of meditation in the Eastern sense? Yeah. Well, significantly, first of all, a mantra is understood to be a magical phrase so you actually said the word om which is a hindu mantra and it is believed that the resonance of that word that the the vibrations that that sound makes is somehow connecting you to the all is godness vibration underneath everything so the goal in that in using a mantra is quite literally not to focus one's attention on something, but to stop the consciousness. Because in the Eastern mystical worldview, the problem we all have is that we think we're something other than God. Our our experience as an individual and our experience of each other as individuals is an illusion. We actually don't exist. We are a part of God. And so meditation's purpose is to bring us to a space where we don't experience ourselves anymore and we see reality as we're all god. Yeah, that's something that I've heard talked about for like Buddhist
0: meditation, like the idea and the the purpose behind that is not to achieve anything but rather to empty yourself and to void the self. And that's not at all what you're talking about. If anything, it's it's the opposite. It's the inverse of that in that we do recognize ourselves as a person before God. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very different.
1: It's the exact opposite of an Eastern understanding of prayer. For the Christian, we, we agree that we are mistaken about the nature of reality. Like, yes, we fallen humans are mistaken about the nature of reality. And the mistake that we make is thinking that God is an enemy that he doesn't care, and that I've got to protect myself and earn it and do it and everything else. What contemplative prayer does is not an attempt to empty my mind. It is an attempt to fill my consciousness, my heart consciousness, my head consciousness, my body consciousness, my soul consciousness, with the reality of the personal God who is present with me at all times and who loves me. And it is very important in the contemplative Christian tradition that the distinction between me and God remains a distinction. You will find mystics within the Christian tradition who talk about losing themselves in God or who talk about union with God and feeling totally united with God. But the faithful ones do not believe that we somehow merge with God and become God, or that we are really God and we're not distinct from him. The faithful Christian understanding, which has been strong throughout history, is that just like we were saying before, there can be such an intimacy with the other person who is God that I, for a time, sort of forget myself, which is exactly what happens when you are really, really intimate with another human being. That is not in any way to say we are that other human being, but we do forget ourselves and feel that great one feel a great oneness with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, communion, um, fellowship. Yeah, I, I I definitely see now based on that that differentiation from what Eastern prayer strives to do and what contemplative prayer is trying to do. So, so the way you've described that actually sounds really appealing. The co- contemplative prayer of Just fellowshipping with God, not not in an effort to get something from God, not out of any kind of distress or needing God to come through for us, but rather just enjoying God's presence. That sounds like something every Christian would want, but at the same time, there's a the cynical side of my brain is saying, "Who's got time for that?" You know, we've got you know smartphones in our pockets that are demanding our attention at every time to take even just 10 minutes to sit silently with God and enjoy His presence, that almost sounds like an impossible task. How do you clear your mind enough and lay aside everything that's demanding our attention to get to the point where we're just alone on a walk, enjoying the presence of God?
1: That's a big question. Um, I want to say again, it's not about clearing the mind, it's about filling the consciousness, but more than just the mind consciousness, um, it's about filling one's heart. You know, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep quoting Jesus essentially. It is about f- how, do, the question really should be, how do I fill my heart, body, soul, and mind with the enjoyment of God's presence? In the few minutes we have left, I probably can't get into all the the method and the details. We'll, we'll need to have another podcast at some point about that. So I, I think the best I can do is point, of, point people to a few resources if they're interested in diving into this a little more. Um, I would recommend Basil Pennington's book titled Centering Prayer. Um, I think that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. I also want to encourage people to just reach out to us. Uh, this is a good time for us to say we we have an email. If you have questions or comments or things you want to interact with us on, we'd love to respond to those uh, in the podcast. So you could send an email to podcast at signpostin.org and we will try to respond to every email that we get either via email or on the show if we can. and We also do. I do Zoom uh, workshops on this. They're two-hour workshops that go into great depth uh, into the biblical basis for it, how to do it, um, recommendations and tips and tricks for how to how to get past some of the hang-ups that we have. You know, that's just as simple as send us an email, ask about those. Sometimes we we host those. You can keep an eye on our calendar at our website, signpostend.org, or we can do them specifically for your group. So those are some places to get started, but the simplest thing is to say the practice itself, however it's defined, whatever steps you give to it, the practice itself is really nothing more than sitting down and bringing to mind a scriptural word or phrase as a way of focusing your heart, your body, your soul, your mind on the current presence of of Jesus. So we can talk more about that, but those are probably some places to get people started. Okay.
0: I love it. Thanks, Brandon. That's uh, I, I really appreciate um, having the ability to bounce off uh, some of these questions, especially especially in regard to this issue. Because as a Christian, as a person that's grown up in the church for a long time, we've been taught a lot of times to be on our guard against things that are her- heretical and and things that are posing as Christian and yet maybe maybe really don't have a great foundation. So being able to especially hear some of the history that I wasn't really aware of, of going back all the way to these monastic traditions that are faithful to God and faithful to scripture. It feels almost like in, in these conversations, I've begun to kind of reclaim some of the ancient tools that Christianity has had for a long time, but have kind of been forgotten in some ways and being able to take those and have that enrich my spiritual life today. Yeah. All right. And until next time, thank you to our guests and May the grace of Jesus Christ go with you
1: wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostin.org. While you're there, sign up for our e newsletter and we'll send you a free e book. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpostin is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate.